Hey guys, G-Man here. Thank you so much for downloading this week's episode of the Fun V Tailgate presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. I was joined by both Matty D and Greg Piatelli as we broke down last week's NFL Championship games. As you know, the Patriots and Eagles are going to Super Bowl 52, so we had to break down our favorite teams Big wins from last Sunday. We wrap things up for football by discussing a little bit of Nick Foles and the Pats dynasty and what uh, non-Boston fans think, so we give Greg a piece of our mind. We also chat a little NBA, NHL, and wrap things up with some Tiger talk. But as always, please go like and share the podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter, ThunderBLG is the Handle there. Thunderblog Sports are the handles on both Facebook and Instagram. Thunderblogsports.com, of course, is where you can find all of our awesome blog content. And of course, enjoy this week's episode. Thanks again. And we are live. Welcome to this edition of the Fun V Tailgate. Presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell, and I am joined by both sides of the coin. And I'm not just talking about with the Super Bowl. I'm talking about with both of my co-hosts for much of the podcast time. Mr. Greg Piatelli and Matt DiStefano, the prophet and the truth, finally battling it on the podcast. Gentlemen, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, obviously. I mean, how could I not be in a better mood? Um, you know, uh, our boys are going to the big game two weeks. It was an incredible weekend to watch. So um, just overwhelmed and great. That is great to hear. Uh, Greg, how about yourself? You know, Jordy, it's uh electric intro as always, per usual, not surprised. Um, <laughs> you know, the perfect voice for – for radio and podcast, I've said it for years. You got there, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Excited, um, get things going. In a couple weeks. It was a it was a nerve wracking Sunday for some, and a blowout Sunday for others. And uh, I'm excited to to get into it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. But we'll, uh, as you all know, Greg's Patriots are facing our Birds in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Two, a rematch of the '04 Super Bowl. Uh, between the Patriots and the Eagles that featured uh, D-Mac from Greg's alma mater of Syracuse. And Tom Brady is still at the behind uh, under center, as you will, not behind center. Uh, but we'll start with the AFC Championship game, as that was the first one. The Jaguars came out to an early lead, but the Patriots you know, proved why you don't doubt Belichick in the second half. Is that right, Greg? Honestly, it's, you know, you and I touched on coaching last week um, in the pod. It, it really, yeah, you can give Brady and the offense and everything credit, but at the end of the day, it's the fact that the Jaguars coaching staff and offensive coordinators, you know, changed their game plan in the second half and, and played perfectly into what Belichick and Matt Patricia, the D coordinator, were trying to take away. You know, the the Patriots, they what they do on defense is stop your number one option and make you beat them other ways. And the first half, Blake Bortles and the Jaguars passing screen option offense was uh, the difference and the reason why the Jaguars were controlling the play, play. And then the second half, 
the Jaguars got conservative, started to run the ball and played perfectly into the Patriots hands. And, you know, it, it, coaching is a huge part in the NFL and that was proved again on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I, man, I still think if you're Doug Marone, you're kicking yourself for taking that knee at the end of the first half. It didn't really seem like it was costly, but I mean, even if you go down and kick a field goal, you still lose, but at least it, it doesn't show that you're starting to take the, your foot off the gas pedal. And that's, Fuel that you don't need to give Belichick, I don't think. I mean, I, I would say this, though. I mean, I know it's a tough loss for the Jaguars, but in terms of what I think their future holds, it's got to be incredibly bright, regardless of what happens with Blake Bortles, um, who personally I think should get another shot there. I mean, he's a high pick for a reason. He had a pretty good game here. Um, he didn't come through really late in the end, but other than that, I mean, he had, he had a pretty great day. And that defense is just – they're really Unreal. good. Right, and they just got Brady'd. I mean, that's what happens. You, you know, they dominate for the whole game, and then at the end of the game, he does what he does, and um, he makes guys like Danny Amendola look like superstars without a Rob Gronkowski, which I think is really, really impressive um, because that's their best weapon. I'll tell you what, I would uh, – now, I know I'm, I'm giving a lot of positive to the Jacksonville defense here who lost, but I would take Jalen Ramsey on my team any day of the week. So I hate him because he's on the Jaguars and he talks a little trash. But, man, I'd like him as a cornerback on my team. So um, the future is really bright in Jacksonville, which I, I like. I mean, they're another team. That AFC South division, by the way, went from being a laughing stock of the league to probably one of the better divisions in the whole in the whole National Football League this year. Hilariously, it's – not hilariously, kind of sad enough, uh, Andrew Luck had nothing to do with it. Right. They're probably the worst team in the division, right? Yeah. They're just terribly built, and hopefully he comes back soon, but they still need a lot of other people around him. But it's not about the Colts right now. Patriots doing what they do, and you know, Greg, was I there mean, ever a doubt in your mind? I mean, there's – honestly, I'd be lying if I say if I said no. I, um, You know what it was? It was, the, it was the Deion Lewis fumble that the Patriots try to – you know, as they often do in the playoffs, don't do any trick plays, and – Playoffs come around and they throw out all these trick plays they don't do all year. Um, and, you know, they almost got away with one, Deion Lewis, or Brady to Amendola back over Deion Lewis, and he fumbled. It was a strip. You know, if the refs had it right, it would have been a touchdown for Jacksonville in terms of uh, they stopped the play and everything. But um, that three and out after the fumble that the Patriots forced, you know, that sort of started to regain my confidence. But when that fumble first happened, I thought, I thought uh, the worst and, you know, just to touch on, on Matt's point there, you know, Jacksonville is a team that, you know, you're talking about a team that lost to the, the best team in football since 2001. So, you know, you, you can't really knock a team that like Matt said, is so young, that's going to be good for, for many years to come. Um, regardless, like you said, of, of what happened with Blake Borles and um, you know, it, it, it was nerve-wracking, Jordy, and I was nervous. Um, but that, as soon as that three and out happened, um, I was starting to regain some faith, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think the other big thing is like the Patriots' defense. Their strength is their back end. So uh, you know, they proved it. I mean, the Stephon Gilmore diving tip to a guy that was almost open enough to score a touchdown there late, um, and that was, I think it was fourth down on that play was incredible. Uh, and that, that back end, you know, the, the whole defense, they just bend all game and they kind of stiffen up late. 
And Greg, to your point, I mean, that's what this coaching staff does so well. They just, they figure out what you're doing well and they make an adjustment mid game that shuts you down. Um, so the only positive is the Eagles have a lot more weapons than Jacksonville. So hopefully uh, Dougie P um, salt in his hair can figure that one out. But uh, the defense does typical Patriots team. They bend all game and then they stiffen up when they need too late. So uh, just a great win by arguably the most successful dynasty in the history of, of the national football league. I think we're getting close to that at this point. Um, they kind of have too many dynasties that, you know, when they played us the first time, now they're playing us now to kind of cap off a, a, another dynasty run here for them. So a scary, scary look to, that we're going to have to play them. I mean, of all the teams you had to pick, man, I just, but I'll take it. Yeah. It's almost like uh, to nerd alert a little bit, but how star Wars tries to mirror itself. It'd be mm-hmm. for the Patriots. It'd be funny that they, that they cap it off with the Eagles on the both, both ends of the trilogy. Right. And there's a tweet out that um, I forget who, who I saw it on, but the, they beat an NFC South team um, in the Panthers and the Falcons the year before they played the Eagles and both Super Bowls. And then they beat an NFC, um, whatever the, whatever the Rams and Seahawks, the NFC West. So it's, it's, even is it the same of, order? Is it like the same gap of years too? Like yep. they win a year off, win win, or yeah, would it be rather? That's exactly what it is: win year off, win win. Oh man, Ooh. well that's the same thing with the Eagles of of how they beat the same two teams to play the Patriots. They just beat them out of order. Why yeah, I mean, right. the history repeating itself here? I don't like it. It makes <laughs> me nervous. Well, the, the scariest one that that's held true for other teams is. That, it sounds ridiculous enough is the Jersey color rule that the Patriots. <laughs> it's crazy though. Cause the Broncos, if they wear orange lose and they have in every single Super Bowl. if they wear not orange, they win, which they have the Patriots. When they wear white, same thing they've won. And when they've wore blue, both times they played the giants, they lost. It's crazy. And I think they did the one that one they went to against back in the nineties against who, who they lose to the Cowboys. They lost the Packers, but they also the beat Packers. the and they beat the Rams in 01 when they wore because the Rams were white that year. Oh, um, did they? Their first they Super Bowl. They uh, were the Patriots were blue, but the the I think the stat with the white jerseys was something like the last thirteen out of fourteen Super Bowl champions have worn white or something yeah, yeah. really like that. So um, mm-hmm. nuts, crazy stuff. Anyways, I mean, let's move on. Let, let's move on to the NFC. Let's get yeah. let's get the, let's get the Eagles talk going, so uh, we can we can discuss some great uh, a, gr- a great football team. Yeah, yeah. So if you didn't watch the game, it started off with the Vikings just marching straight down the field. They the Eagles elect to kick the ball. Um, the Vikings come right down and score. And I was you, Matt, you and I were texting. We were freaking the fuck out because um, it. Looked like they were putting everything together. The defense was getting dummied. Um, but then Big Dick Nick comes out. <laughs> he uh, he puts together an okay drive. They end up punting, but you know, starting to set the seeds. Well, I mean, I was I was even more nervous because not only did they they marched down the field with basically, I was actually reading about say they 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 used a little trickery. Yeah. And we tried to match their trickery, and it, that's what screwed us up a little bit um, yeah. defensively that first drive because they were running on us. Uh, they were moving guys around. 
uh, that led to the play action touchdown, which is which is basically a joke at how easy it was. But then the next drive, Nick Foles makes two pretty good throws, little behind Torrey Smith, but he probably and I know a guy got onto him. And maybe maybe it was pass interference, but hits him in the hands. He's got to catch it, and then Trey Burton like jumps out of bounds on the third down play for no reason at all. Yeah. Um, never seen anything like that by a professional football player. And I'm thinking, here we go. Vikings are going to get the ball back. They're going to march right down the field, score again. It's 14 nothing against this great Vikings defense. Um, but instead, the Eagles' defense does what it what it's done all year. And I know Foles was was brilliant, but I thought our defense just shut down um, a Vikings Incredible. offense. Incredible. Yes, a Vikings offense that you know is it has some playmakers in in, in Stephon Diggs, Thielen, even uh, Jarek McKinnon, um, and they just. They just put the clamps on a team that had played really well um, throughout the year, and yeah. it was awesome to watch. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. For for those that didn't see the play, uh, Chris Long comes in pretty much bat. He doesn't bat it completely because Case Keenan gets the pass off, but he throws his complete duck. Patrick Robinson comes in, gets it. Uh, as Chris Berman said on in his glorious return to NFL uh, evening countdown, Mr. Robinson comes right down the field, knotted up at seven. And from there, it was all Eagles. And it, like you said, man, the defensive line, the way that they can run it, almost like a hockey team, just rotating guys through. Um, I mean, they put the pressure on them and really just shut down real a lot of different chances for the Vikings to do anything. They wouldn't score for the rest of the game. Quite a show. And kind of with the, the – we talked about it a little bit with the Pats and with this – uh, return of the flea flicker. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. Um, it wor- ended up working in this one after a number of unsuccessful attempts. And Nick Foles, I mean, he looked great. But, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the defense played out of its mind. Just great coaching all around. Um, Jim Schwartz had been has, has been great with the defensive coordinating. But Doug Peterson called one hell of a game for offense. Um, really looked into – what Nick Foles has, has done well back in 2013 when he had that incredible second half of the year and really integrated it in today with, or not today on Sunday with how they did. And, you know, I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that it was a blowout. I thought it would have been a lot closer. It was, it hit the, or it hit right on the over under number. So I think uh, it went just under. So Greg, we were, I was right on there. Not a big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> It was uh, it was quite a night in Philly after that. Yeah, no, I mean the 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 outsider's perspective, if you will, um, that interception um, was at the first quarter. Yeah, touchdown was that was for me the the point where I thought the Eagles were gonna we're gonna roll from there. I know that was early on, but um, you know the Vikings. You're talking about a team that and Case Keenum that hadn't turned the ball over. In terms, of he, I'm pretty sure he hadn't thrown interceptions for however many um, weeks in a row. But um, that interception, followed by the stop right away, and then touchdown by the Eagles. The next drive is for me. That was the really the the, the most deflating thing for that for that Vikings defense. You know, the Vikings. Um, I don't want to say got lucky the week before in that in the Drew Brees uh, shootout between him and Case Keenum in the fourth, but. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where the the Vikings defense just you could see, you could see them, sort of, uh, 
put their heads down, if you will, and 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 start to get and feel the the stress of having to carry the team all year. Um, whereas the Eagles defense and some of the Eagles have been doing all year is is getting a big lead and then turning around and just stuffing stuffing the opposing offenses with their pass rush and and their corners. Uh, I didn't realize until obviously watching this game how how good their corners are at staying with their receivers. They don't necessarily have to make a ton of interceptions, but they certainly force the quarterback to look at a second, third option, which allows the pass rushers to pin their ears back and just get after the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it. they played incredibly well. That was the one thing that I got nervous about. We talked about that last week. And, you know, I mean, they shut down those playmakers that Matt was talking about, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, um, Jarek McKinnon. He could have been the X factor in it just the way that, He's so dynamic from the backfield and, and, you know, catching running backs, you know, can really cause a lot of, a lot of trouble. We saw what Todd Gurley did to the Eagles earlier Mm -hmm. this year. Um, But I mean, they stepped it up and they all, I mean, everybody stepped it up big time. The offensive line played incredibly well too, which I was incredibly impressed by. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to say no one's talking about how since the playoffs have started, big V hasn't been a point of discussion. The offensive line has played great, but more importantly, he has stepped up. I mean, that's a great pass rush led by Everson Griffin and, and, and and Brian Robinson and that group. And, and he played amazing. So it's good when your offensive line isn't in the news. That usually means they're doing a great (laughs) job. Uh, And I tell you, even with big V, we might have it one of, if not the best offensive line in all of football right now with the way they're playing. And no one's talking about our guards and Kelsey I know that Kelsey's a pro bowler, I think, or an all-pro, one of the two. Um, yeah, he, play, he and Lee Johnson are all pros. Gotcha, gotcha. And Brandon Brooks and uh, uh, Wisniewski is back, and he was out for a couple games, and I thought that really affected the team. So his return, I think, has really stabilized them as well. Um, but big, I'm, like I said, Big V's impressed me because because I'm not hearing anything about him. Um, <laughs> so And that, that's what you want. You, know, you don't want to hear anything about your offensive lineman. Um, so he's been nothing but smooth. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, they just played so incredibly well. Um, yeah, and I mean, it'll be it'll be awesome to see how this all goes down. It, you know, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous though about about the birds. Um, you know, I'm not a little stitious. I'm superstitious, so I'm gonna <laughs> same clothes. I don't need to be in the same place because I was in two different locations for both playoff games. Uh, Matt, you're going to be going, but I, I almost want you to sell your ticket and go to a, go to some mountain resort because you've been in mountain resorts for the two playoff games. Um, I mean, Greg, you can just do the opposite of what you've been doing for the playoffs. So <laughs> go, go ahead and do that. Um, but no, listen, I got a question for the both of you. You know, it, it, all the all the talk on, from the media all all week has been, and all playoffs has been how good the Eagles are and how good they've looked and how awesome they are, and blah, 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 and this and that, and the best team in the world. What is the weakness of the Eagles? You know, and I don't, I don't want the cookie-cutter Nick Foles ESPN answer, Jordy. I want, I want something real. I still think it can be the secondary. I mean, the one thing I, I think, too, because Gronk's definitely going to play, I think the fact that you have the – they have a great linebacking core, but Gronk just changes it. And changes the game. He's one of the best, if not the best tight end ever. And the fact that you have to probably double, double cover, double cover him the whole game, uh, just changes up a little bit. I mean, you get two weeks to kind of bring that up, but like you were saying, they don't, the, the cornerbacks specifically don't have to go for picks 
you know, 100% of the time, but at times they they can let up, you know, they can let up more yardage than they should or maybe get give them enough space to make that. So I think that could be a huge sore point that Bill Belichick could and Josh McDaniels could take advantage of with Gronk. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that would have been probably one of my, just the secondary in general would have been one of what would have been the first thing I would say. But I do think the weakness that really kills us, and he's been so good at it all year. But the games we've struggled, it's been. I always think it's the offensive play calling, and I, I call it the Andy Reid streak that Doug Peterson gets, and it's call, calling way too many passes in a row. Yeah. Um, what made what made this game so special was our balance between the pass and the run and allows Foles to get into a rhythm. Um, that, to me, is it, it's a weakness that, that rears its head in a couple losses this year. Um, so I think on offense, it's it's the play calling. If, if, yeah, we saw it a little bit. On, he's been great, so. Yeah, we saw it a little bit in this game, too, where he would balance it out, but sometimes you had a little bit longer of a third down play, third and seven. Nick Foles did an incredible job, almost Carson Wentz-like on third down. Uh, to really complete a lot of those and keep drives going. There were a lot of plays. Zach Ertz really was a big factor there um, in being able to complete drives. But, you know, I mean, if it, if it does get streakier, as you were calling it, Andy Reid-esque, it could present a lot of problems, especially uh, if they're scheming for that and taking that away. Uh, the, the stellar third down player taking away Zach Ertz or Alshon or whomever has been, you know, the big target, which has been nice about Nick Foles and, really with the Eagles in general this year, is that they've been able to get so many different receivers involved. And even on Sunday, they didn't get of everybody involved uh, in terms of both receivers, tight ends, and running backs. So, I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes, but that, that's a great choice, man. No, and, and I love that answer. And it's, it's funny because the Patriots' biggest weekend weakness, in my opinion, is getting off the field on third down uh, mm-hmm. defensively. And that's something that, They've struggled with the entire year. Their defense forces teams into these third and long or third mid to long, and they just allow a first down, no problem, willy-nilly. And that's been a weakness all year. So if the Eagles can convert on third like they did um, against the Vikings and they've done all playoffs, then you know I, I, can, I can see uh, the Eagles offense just wearing down the Patriots' defense and not even giving Brady a chance. And that's really how you beat the Patriots. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean that's a great point, and um, you know this. Yeah, the problem with the Patriots that they they can't get off the field on third down because they don't have really. I mean, if you look at their defense, we're used to having them have a couple big names, but their linebacking core and their and their 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 linemen aren't as with, with the injury to Dante Hightower and the loss of Chris Long and Rob Ninkovich and some of the other. I know uh, uh, Chandler Jones. Uh, Jamie Collins, they don't have as many stars up front on that defensive front and linebacking core. James Harrison has played great for them, but that's their problem. They, they just don't have that in the, on the front seven, and that's where I think the Eagles can get after them. Um, a lack of a pass rush is not something you want against any quarterback, but you're playing into Nick Foles' strength, which is standing in the pocket and not getting him off his spot. So I think it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty important that they protect Nick as well as they did against the Vikings. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, and if you get the both ends of the, uh, two headed, really the, the stable, but the two headed front part of the running back core of, uh, AGI going off and look at Blunt, just kind of pounding it in, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be exciting. I mean, we'll see how it goes, but we'll, uh, we can definitely, uh, get into this a lot further and 
We'll probably have some more talk next week with prop bets and all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> unless you guys have any other any other thoughts. I know, uh, Greg, you had a couple trivia questions you wanted to ask us. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I in terms of, of reviewing the two games, I think, uh, you know, is is job well done. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but I did have a couple questions in terms yeah. of Nick Folds and, you know, sort of why he hasn't had a shot in the NFL. You know, he's, you talk about what he's done since he's, he's replaced Carson Wentz and what have you, but reality is you're talking about a guy who is better than anyone on the Browns, better than, you know, I would say the bottom eight, nine, 10 quarterbacks in the NFL that are starting for teams. And, and Nick Foles hasn't had a single year where he's been a starter for all 16 games. And, um, for me, I was a little surprised and shocked that a guy who can or has proven that he can put up numbers based on that 2013 or 14, whatever year he was with the Eagles um, and Chip Kelly, you know, proven that he can do well and, and, and have success in the NFL and be a Pro Bowl starting quarterback. Um, why hasn't he had that chance or shot throughout the NFL? That's a good question. I mean, I know he... You know, he had those up and down seasons with the Rams. I mean, Chip Kelly traded him away uh, in that trade to get Sam Bradford. And from there, I mean, he played in a Rams team that with Jeff Fisher just kind of went up and down, you know, and he with Case Keenum kind of flip flopped in terms of starting jobs. Uh, You know, he got hurt a little bit, I believe. And then I mean, you know, there were articles that came out about it. I mean, he he wanted to retire from football. They drafted Jared Goff. I mean, he was really down in the dumps, and his wife kind of helped him out there. He called up Andy Reid, signed with the Chiefs, played behind Alex Smith. Um, And, you know, I mean, that's why he's still in football. So, I mean, good on Howie Roseman for convincing him to come back to the Eagles. I mean, which is another part, you know, we can talk, you know, with the Eagles that Howie Roseman did a great job building this team throughout the season. But, you know, I mean, it's it's crazy, though, like you said, that he didn't really get it, get an idea of in 2016 of of where or really of, uh, you know, a team that needed a quarterback, especially because you hear with so many people going down, um, you know, because I'm looking at it here. He got released. On July 27th, 2016, it was signed by the Chiefs a week, around a week later, August 3rd. So, I mean, as a just signed as a backup, but I mean, other teams were probably looking for quarterbacks there. I know you draft people, you want to maybe see what you can do, but I, know, no, I mean, that's but a, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking for a firsthand account from two Eagles fans who watched yeah. him in 2013 and then after the trade in 2014, you know, what, like, were you jazzed about it? Were you pumped about it? Like how, how could you, you know, as a fan base go from a guy who did so well the year before to being like, yeah, let's, let's ship this guy out immediately. Well, it was crazy. Go, go, Jordy. Yeah. I thought it was crazy. Cause he, so that 2013 season, the Eagles go to the playoffs, lose to the saints, 2014, you come out, they go, I think it was 10 and six and don't make the playoffs because, you know, the Cowboys win and, all these different teams went obviously had better records except for the Panthers. I believe it was who won the NFC South. Um, Nick Foles got hurt though. in week Mark Sanchez st- started for ship. Kelly did all right, but the Eagles really fucked up and didn't make the playoffs. He decided then that he was really going to just put his own touch on the team. 
Um, so it was kind of just, I was shocked. I remember, I don't think it was the same day as the, the LaShawn McCoy trade, which I remember Matt and I were at a flyers game when that happened. And we were sitting at the, we were grabbing beers when that news came across. And I remember both of our jaws were on the ground when that happened. Um, losing full though. I mean, it was something you couldn't really believe. I think they, tr- the Eagles traded draft picks to get one. Which, or to, I, I don't even know if they got, yeah, they got one back to trade two, which I thought was weird. Cause Sam Bradford kept getting hurt. So I was a little, I was a little down on the trade. I mean, and then he comes, yeah, it was just, so I mean, I would love to hear Matt, but you're telling me they traded him because of a concussion. Kind of. I mean, it, it was kind of more Chip Kelly's ego. I know Matt, you have a little bit more of a higher opinion on it, but hey, let's get your thought. Well, I mean, uh, well, so to, well, first of all, Chip I, Kelly. I, I mean. well, I can, I, how can you? Here's the thing: you can, you can hate Chip Kelly if you want, but if it wasn't for Chip Kelly, we'd never have Carson Wentz. That's true. That's the truth about it. So, and and I and I thought, well, he did some crazy stuff, and I really didn't like, you know, cutting Deshaun Jackson. I didn't hate the Lashawn McCoy trade, and, and for this reason. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of drafting running backs high. I think you can find good running backs throughout throughout. There's many ways to find good running backs in the NFL. And while there are some great running backs that were drafted high, like McCoy um, and uh, uh, Ezekiel Elliott was drafted high, you can find gems in the third, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. You know, so I'm a big fan of. I don't think your running back needs to be a top talent to win the Super Bowl anymore. Um, but in terms of Nick Foles, I I tend to believe as I'm a quarterback realist. And I think you can see his limitations. He doesn't throw particularly well when he's on the run. Uh, he he doesn't necessarily – he doesn't have very quick feet. He moves around the pocket better than I expected this game. But we've seen his limitations before this. Um, to me, if you don't – it's like the NBA. And I don't know why every team doesn't copy the process because if you don't have a top quarterback, it's very difficult to win in the NFL. All of your stars have to come – all the stars have to align. Now, they're aligning for the Eagles this year. Um but if you look back, most Super Bowl quarterbacks are, are one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. That's why the Patriots have been to a record 10 Super Bowls now uh, with the last seven or eight uh, conference championship games, I believe it is, uh, because they have a great quarterback. Um, personally, I think Foles is a high-level backup who can come in and, and, and you know drive a game plan if you need him to. I don't know if he's a starter in this league. Uh, to be honest, I know he had a great game last week, and I and I love him for it, and I love him as a backup. But if I'm the Browns, why am I why am I signing Nick Foles? So what is he doing for my franchise for the next ten to fifteen years? Their team's not good enough to win a Super Bowl right now, even with. So you know, I now I look at a team like the Broncos and think, okay, well maybe Nick Foles makes sense there, but how much are you going to pay him? Um, how much are they going to pay like a Case Keenum? Uh, do you think Kirk Cousins deserves $20 million, uh, you know, in this league? So I guess I eye test Foles because his stats are okay, and I see a quarterback that has clear limitations but can perform when put in the right system. That's why I don't think he's been a successful starter outside of really outside of Philadelphia. He hasn't been much of a successful starter, and he had the one great year. But I thought he regressed the next year, uh, and that normally happens. Like I don't expect Carson Wentz, whenever he comes back, to have the same success on third down and the same amazing plays. I hope he does, but I don't expect that because most quarterbacks tend to revert to some of the – even the high-level quarterbacks revert to the same mean um, you know, for, for the upper echelon guys. So 27-2 and two was amazing, but guys get film on some players, and then they start to struggle. Um, so 
would I be mad if Nick Foles was my starter? Yeah, if I was the Browns, I wouldn't want Nick Foles as my starting quarterback because I think you can do you can get a young guy who might be better in five years. That's how I look at it. Um, but he wins a Super Bowl. He's gonna get. He might get traded and signed by somebody if he wins a Super Bowl here. No, it's a great answer, and and, and I think uh, you definitely hit the nail on the head in terms of rebuilding versus building for the future versus just taking a guy to be serviceable for a year or two. And, and, you know, I think it's a valid argument was to, like you said, why um, Kirk Cousins hasn't had a a full-time contract and and hasn't gotten that multi-year deal. um, Cause you really need to evaluate, is this guy good for what we have or is he good for the future and long-term? And, and I think that uh, is a point that definitely is overlooked. um, Yeah. Or was would, it would you, let me ask you, Greg, would you call it the – I almost call it the Joe Flacco effect. Mm. Right? Yeah, I mean, because, it, no, right. You're, you're right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely one of those things where Joe Flacco and, and even even Blake Bortles in the same yeah, argument. I was going to say him, yeah. Yeah, the same argument that we were talking about earlier or or um, the Chiefs quarterback, Alex Smith, and, and you know, are those guys that deserve those multi-year deals that, you know – Joe Flacco got a contract because he won a Super Bowl, and, and is he really a guy to be the face of the franchise? And I mean, you talk about Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees and and guys who have been in the same been with the same team for so long. Brett Favre, you know, guys who lasted um, at places, and it's one of those things where you really need to, um, you know, like Matt said, invest in the future and find a guy who can be a staple, even if it's for seven years. So like McNabb uh, in, in Philly, you know, McNabb won how many NFC championships and, and, or took you to how many NFC championship games, you know, was he a guy that yeah. could sustain that top level and bring in ticket sales and everything like that for, for a long time. Um, so it's a great point And, and I definitely something that. Uh, a big know, case in point yeah. to it is Brock Osweiler. I mean, he mm-hmm. got, the big, big money, and look what he's doing now. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next, my next question. Does, does Nick Folds um, – I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, that, that couldn't have planned that better if we really wanted to. But <laughs> does this Nick Folds' Eagles-led team sort of remind you of that uh, Brock Osweiler-led uh, Broncos team? Obviously, you don't have Peyton Manning coming back for the Super Bowl, but does it remind you sort of of that – you know, lose your starting quarterback and, and turn around and have a great defense and, and supporting cast on offense. Yeah, I think it does. I thought I thought coming out of the Falcons game that it reminded me a hell of a lot of it. You and I talked about it a little bit last week. Trade the the you know all star caliber wide receivers for you know the stable running backs. And that's basically your offense. Um, even though you have some solid wide receivers by the Eagles here and a, and a great tight end. Uh, but that defense, I mean, it, it reminded me so much of it, the way that they play, the swagger they carry uh, going with them. I mean, it reminds me a hell of a lot of that Denver team from two years ago. I, and I would even, I would even add to that, that, um, you know, the Denver team had an elite defense. Eagles have an elite defense. Um, so there are a few exceptions where great or, or mediocre quarterbacks win Super Bowls for their teams. Um, now Peyton Manning came back for that Super Bowl, but we—I mean, you watch that game. He, he was Nick Foles or worse. His mind was still there, but his body had pretty much given up at that point. Um, so he basically game managed a game, uh, game managed that game to a victory. So. Uh, Yes, I think it was incredible that Brock Osweiler led him there, but I, I think it was their 
their defense that really won that championship for them. Uh, even more than their offensive weapons, I think the Eagles have better offensive weapons than that team had. So um, I think they, they're loaded at pretty much every position. Um, and you know, we didn't even talk much about the wide receiver core really showed up after that first drive for the Eagles. So we'll see what happens. But um, the other difference is, though, that the Denver Broncos weren't playing the um, the, uh, the um, New England Patriots. Right. So we'll <laughs> see. But, yeah. Oh, I point Very that true. Out. <laughs> no, and, and listen, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, what the Eagles have been able to do all year and able, you know, to withstand an injury like that. Um, you know, remember when Brady went out, um, towards his ACL in the, in the second game or first game of the season, um, wasn't the first play, uh, it was first drive, not the first play, first but drive, yeah. um, it was, com- it was, it was, oh wait, right. It was coming off of the, right the 18 the and loss. one year, yeah, right after the loss. Um, <sighs> yep. 16 and oh year, Jordy. Um, you know, yeah, that after, right after that year and all the records and tears his ACL and then they they still win 10, 11 games but don't make the playoffs. But um, you know, the fact the Eagles were able to continue that that torrid pace, um, you know, for a couple of weeks. Obviously, the Rams game was late in the year, but um, you know, they beat a Giants team who sucked, but at the same time was to play spoiler. I mean, yeah, but they were also they were playing hard somewhat towards the end of the year because everyone started to realize they're playing for their jobs at that point because they knew there was going to be a new coach and um, even a Raiders team that still had a chance to the playoffs. And then obviously that Cowboys game was, you know, rest all our players, but um, that was a, a terrible game to watch. But you know, it, it don't want to blow up the Eagles too much, but um, at the same time, you have to give respect where respect is due. And and my question here to shift it back to the team of. Uh, team of destiny, if you will, um, from an outsider's perspective, uh, start with Matt and then head to Jordy. Um, the Patriots run that they're on and the Patriots, uh, sustained success, if you will, um, in the, in the Belichick era, is that looked on by others as, you know, cause if you ask anyone in new England or anyone close to, or who likes the Patriots, you know, you're talking about the greatest of everything in every single category. And, you know, I couldn't tell you, like, you know, you, people talk about, oh, you know, it's natural for us. Like, no, there's no huge celebration. There's no crazy videos because it is what it is. And this happens every year for us. No big deal. Um, you know, from an outsider perspective, you know, try to compare it um, for someone or New England fans who are listening or anything like that to, to different dynasties. And you know, I was thinking today when I thought I was going to ask you this question, um, like the, the Jeter and the 90 Yankees or, um, you know, even some other you know, the, the Jordan Bulls, if you will, um, just sort of that run of success for, for sustained years. Is it looked on as like these guys, it's so annoying, or is it looked on like with respect or, or you have to admire what they're doing? Well, I think it's looked on as annoying right now hmm. because they've been blocking teams who, you know, you know for years that, that, that probably deserve a championship, like the Falcons, um, you know, like the Seahawks, who should have another championship. Um, they've been blocking Rams. teams, the Rams, they've been blocking teams in their own division who obviously will hate them forever um, because the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills have been smoked since, you know, since Brady basically took over. Um, I would say if you compare it to some other dynasties, I believe it is the most impressive. Um, maybe Jeter Yankees, but I think the reason I think of that is two things. One, in the NFL, it's a one-game series in the playoffs. Every game could be your last game. That's hard to do. And two, there's 
a lot more people on the roster. It's not as star driven in terms of like, for, for example, in basketball, uh, you take Jordan's Bulls, you take LeBron with the Cavs and the Heat, you take Golden State right now. If you have the best player or one of the top couple players in the world, you're probably going to win a championship. So I think it's so star driven in the NBA that it's all focused on getting one guy on your team. That's what the Sixers have been trying to do. So I'm not discrediting how amazing those runs have been because they had the greatest players. Um, but Tom Brady might be the greatest. I think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Do I think he's that much better than Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning in his prime, Drew Brees? No. I think the team around him, though, has been built so professionally and incredibly against a tight cap structure in the NFL that I'm more impressed with their sustained success over almost two decades than I am with any other dynasty that I've come across. But I think baseball is an interesting one. I'd, I'd have to do some research, but that's another one that's really tough because we see how good teams are, and in the playoffs, it's totally different. Um, but I think their sustained success is incredible. Yeah, no, and, and Jordy, I want to hear your point too. And I, I'm certainly not asking this just to hear the pump up of the of the Patriots, but I really am curious, like what other people think, because you know, you ask anyone around here, and you can't get that unbiased, fair opinion, if you will. But I think it's a good point, Matt, that you bring up about you know the ba- the cap, because I think what helps baseball, or or I guess hurts, is is the lack of cap and the fact right. that they can spend as much money as they want, and that sort of you know the age-old age old adage of the Yankees would buy everyone good, but at the same time, <laughs> they had those guys, I mean, as Red Sox, but they had those guys who they build around, and, and you know, Bernie Williams and all these guys who were homegrown and and came up throughout the system and, and sort of lived that sort of, this is our team, we're going to build off these guys' um, run that the Yankees had, and that's why, for me, I think baseball would definitely be the best comparison, but um, yeah, I, I Sorry, great points, but I agree with the baseball point. Jordan? No, and I, I agree with that too. And and the cap is brilliant in bringing up. And quick shout out to you, Greg. Bernie Williams is uh, Army George's favorite baseball player. So uh, props to you. Um, kind of on a social level, though, I mean, I think it'll be like the Jordan Bulls. I know from when I was a kid, my mom would give me Bulls stuff, her being from Chicago. My uncles would send it out to us. So I'd wear like a gimme five in 1997 or some Michael Jordan shirt or, or whatever it was and you know get crap for it. Um, and just remember that the, from the outsider's point of view, as you put it, just kind of, oh, I'm sick and tired of seeing them winning, yada, yada, yada. But now you look back on it and you look back on the 97 Bulls and what they did. Uh, and you, know, you, you look at it with that look of nostalgia, but also just that look and that air of greatness. And I think because of that and because of the salary cap point Matt brought up, We'll look back on this, you know, seventeen-year run, as and if it continues going, because Tom Brady wants to basically play until his Guys. robotic arms fall off. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll look back on it and just see. You know, we'll we'll love it. I mean, our kids are going to ask us what it was like watching it. It's and kind of to bring back the baseball point. I remember there was a commercial about Albert Pujols of all players of. You know, your dad, your dad will tell you about how he got to watch Hank Aaron. Your grandfather got to tell you about how you watched Babe Ruth, whomever. You know, and you can tell your kids you watched Albert Pujols. We get to say that about you. Get to say that about Tom Brady. We get to say that from an outsider of getting to see Tom Brady and watching that and just remembering hating him and just having you know sports needs needs a villain at some point and having that and the the one person and one team that. You love to hate everybody aspires to get to kind of 
both sides of the coin. I mean, right now it's, you know, Patriots versus the world, but we're all going to look back on this run whenever it ends and, you know, look back on it with uh, some, some uh, big eyes of nostalgia, if you will. Yeah, no. And for me, I think, I think the thing that's, that's never talked about, but everyone just says, or, or thinks I should say is the fact that Belichick has been doing this as the GM, you know, it's almost like a red hour back. And I tried to look outside of Boston to think of a comparable, but red hour back when he was the GM, of the Celtics and the coach at the same time and, and created this, this team that won 11 out of 13 or sorry, 11, whatever in a row. And, and um, you know, he really changed the game in terms of you know, getting Bill Russell and and guys like that. But also as a GM, he would make these deals that there were no rules at the time to prevent them, but he would also, they created rules after the fact, you know, and that's similar to what, what Belichick has done you know, with all these different rules that the, that the NFL has created to basically try and stop what the Patriots are doing and and on-field rules and, and, and off-the-field rules. And it's just one of those things where I think Belichick doesn't get enough credit as, yeah, he's a great coach. Obviously, that's been proven. But, you know, his his job that he's done in, in town evaluation as well as, as a GM in terms of not overpaying for guys and, and – almost to a fault, losing some of the superstars. Like Matt said, you know, defense, they don't have these superstars, but yet somehow they're back in the Super Bowl because they have guys who are serviceable and guys who get the job done that need to be done. And, and that speaks to the GM talent, I think, of Belichick more than the coaching. Um, I heard – so, like I brought it up before, like Brady is the greatest of all time, but Brady won't have – would never have the amount of Super Bowl rings that he has and the amount of consistent – I mean, their worst season, the last time they missed the playoffs, they went 11-5 and five with Matt Castle, a quarterback, and didn't make the playoffs, which made no sense anyway. But um, you're right. The, that's a great point, Greg, because name their biggest superstar other than Brady on that team. I'll give you Rob Gronkowski. But after that, I mean, who really on – excuse me, on that team is a lockdown, bonafide, poster-selling jersey kind of guy. There aren't – there just aren't guys like that on that team. They just find these guys – every time they sign a player, they signed Chris Hogan. They signed Rex Burkhead. You just know they're going to be good there because you know somehow Belichick has figured out why they make sense in his system. And they're like, it seems like now that he's got misses, Albert Hainsworth was a big miss years ago, but you don't hear about them. All you see is the success they've had with guys that come from nowhere, are drafted in the sixth or seventh round, or are picked up on strange free agent deals that you're like, wait, why, why did they sign Chris Hogan to a five-year deal? Why did that make sense? Well, he's been highly productive for them. I think it's incredible what he's able to do and the gems he's able to find throughout the league. No, and, and you're right. And, and it's funny because you he has had some misses. And up until this game, everyone's saying that Gilmore was a miss, but he turned around and had some unbelievable plays late. And, you know, the only other guy, superstar on the team, that is would have been Brandon Cooks, but I don't think he ever got the chance to have that superstar status because he left the Drew Brees system and came with Brady and – and the Patriots and sort of fell into that whoever yeah. is open is going to get the ball. It's not necessarily the best player. So, but he, but he quietly had a hundred yards last game, right? Like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's so, something that yeah, I think again it goes back to the to the GM deals if, if of 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 Belichick. But um, yeah, we can we can we can move on to uh, other things. I just wanted to get an outsider's perspective because uh, for me personally, it's. Obviously, I'm, I'm respecting and loving it going on and not complaining, but I just I'm tired of of people in New England and Patriot fans sort of not to generalize, obviously, but just sort of 
talking about how everyone hates the Patriots for no reason, and, and I just wanted to get a, a perspective as to what what outsiders were getting. And I think Matt put it best in the first comment he made that it's just annoying, and, and the fact that those, like you said, the, the Dolphins and the, the Bills and um, the Jets have been virtually irrelevant in the NFL for since 01 has, has been uh, the best point or the, the proof is in the pudding, if you will, with, the, with that. So Right, right. I think the example I'd give is, so you, you brought the Chicago Bulls. Well, the Chicago Bulls blocked a very amazing Utah Jazz team with Stockton and Malone from ever winning a title. And um, they've done that to other – the Patriots have – And Patrick Ewing. But yeah, so they've literally done that, right? They've done that to teams that deserved a title, and the Patriots have done the same thing. And I know the Colts finally got one, and uh, but they've like I'll give the example of the Colts. The, the Peyton Manning was unbelievably good, and he only has with the Colts one Super Bowl ring. Like to me, that's incredible because when you think of his legacy, he should have three or four Super Bowl rings for how good he was, and and, and he almost didn't get it. Right, yeah, right. The exactly. Patriots. Sorry to bring it back. Sorry to bring up a wound, Craig. But the Patriots blew a lead in that game the year mm-hmm. the the Colts finally won. Yeah, yeah I mean, dropped dropped a fourth quarter. Uh, dropped a fourth down, fourth quarter play. Uh, Kevin Falk out of the backfield. But you know, Maddie, uh, great point again. Uh, yeah, my point I was going to make, kind of just out of the box, was again you kind of brought it up, Greg. Greg of just changing rules and everything, and it's almost a good way to seg- segue out. But they. Tiger proofed it, if you will, topical reference as he's coming back to Torrey Pines. But, you know, and, and Tiger's kind of a, we all look back and there were the people of, I, literally Tiger versus the field of the people who either loved Tiger or hated him. And then all those personal life stuff happened. But now, you know, we look back on it with these nostalgic guys. And now we're all hoping that the comeback happens with him coming back this week. And his first real tournament, you can say what you will about the Bahamas, but you know, I mean, just another example of, you know, guys, once in a generation type talent, the Patriots have two of them in a coach and a quarterback, um, Tiger obviously being that for golf. But I mean, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. We'll talk about this, obviously, a lot more for the Super Bowl next week. We'll probably go through some top through uh, some prop bets as well, which are uh, some of my favorite things to look at for the Super Bowl. But now with the Eagles in it, it, it feels uh I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, able to enjoy the commercials. <laughs> right. Well, I won't be watching the commercials, but uh, well, we'll talk about that yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about your business trip that you'll be going on in a week and a half, but let's move on. We'll uh, start or you might just want to move on to basketball or a little hockey. Whatever works for you guys. I mean, um, flyers are on right now, actually. Shoot, I haven't checked that score. Does anyone know? Yeah, I haven't checked it either. They're playing the Red Wings. Let's do a little basketball, then we'll we'll finish okay. up with hockey with the All Star game this weekend. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I'll just jump right in with basketball. They announced yeah. uh, they announced the uh, All Star reserves today. Um, I think for some reason a lot of Philly fans thought that uh, Ben Simmons would get a nod. He did not, and I didn't expect him to, to be honest with you. Um, so he does not get in. Um, other surprises? I mean, surprises. Chris Paul, Paul George didn't make it this year either. Um, I think the injuries to Chris Paul probably derailed that. Um, personally, I hate how it's kind of this weird little club with the All-Star game. Like you have to have certain players in the All-Star game. I don't like that. That bothers me. Um, so I'm happy that Chris Paul didn't make it because I don't think he's having that great of a year because of his injuries. Well, he's a great player, and I think he's going to potentially get out of the Warriors. So um, I'm probably not going to watch a lot, but I always like to see who they choose. But I did want to point one thing out and get your guys' opinion on this. So 
there's a team with two all-stars and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins of the Pelicans. Are they all-stars? Because their team is terrible. So, like, what are you guys' thoughts on in the NBA particularly, like the stat stuffing that occurs by some guys and how they just get all-star nods because of their great stats, and yet their teams are mediocre at best? Just, so that was going to be my, my question was, is it, yeah. like, is it like the NHL where everyone has to have a player represented? Um, or is no, it they- – no, I was wondering the same thing. I'm looking at it now. It doesn't look like everyone does because there's only 12 players on the team or 13 players on the team. No, 12. Yeah, so that's impossible for them to even do. Um, so multiple teams have them. Obviously, and two of the Warriors have two stars. Yeah, and that's, that's that's the toughest part, I think, right there is is to to go back to Matt's question is is the, the lack of, of people on each team, you know, because yeah. – your NBA teams are already small, so becoming an all-star and, and talking about these young talent snubs um, across the board, that's just going to happen all over the place. And and it's one of those things where that's why they do the rookie sophomore challenge because they know that they want to promote their young stars in that type of game or that type of environment where those guys can shine and not be overshadowed by LeBron who jokes around and Steph Curry who tries to dunk and all this other BS. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a valid point uh, talking about two guys and DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis who, you know, are really, you know, cousins obviously with the media headlines and Anthony Davis with the, with the fan vote. But it's one of those things where, are they deserving because they're they're popular or are they deserving because they should be there based on their team record as well as their individual record? And that's for me, I I'm always a f- proponent of, um, you know, in order to have individual success, your team should have success as well. And that, that's like Victor Oladipo with, with, right. with the yeah, Pacers, right. you know, he no. really has led that team to be, in contention in the East and, and uh, the sixth seed right now. And it's because of him, despite losing, you know, everyone that they lost in, in the off season. Yeah. For me, at least, and I agree with it, the team success, at least though, for Anthony Davis, if you had to go and kind of a, it, get somebody in, I'd put him in over boogie. Um, especially just boogie kind of with his off, off court stuff. Uh, Anthony Davis, the, the unibrower, uh, I mean, just the eye test, like you were talking about with Nick Foles. I mean, he just looks looks the part. I wouldn't necessarily put him in as a starter if I had my druthers, but I'd throw him in there. But uh, the Oladipo point, though, it's great on your part, uh, Greg. Um, yeah, I mean, looking, I'm just looking over the rosters now because um, I did not check them out before we jumped on. Um, the Bleacher Report's not going up. But, yeah, I mean, if you, it's interesting that they don't go – baseball style and try to try to overload these these rosters but that's a but that's i guess like you said that's why you have the uh the rookie the rookie sophomores game for uh for the the long weekend of skills competitions i would also mention this this is why i think and i'm not a lebron i'm not a huge lebron fan but i respect the hell out of him so Everyone talks about how great Anthony Davis is, how great DeMarcus Cousins is, um, some of these other young players out there. But LeBron James wins where he goes. So his team, regardless of who's on it, has success. So whether it's leadership, intangibles, defense, when he plays on a team, they win games. And he did it with Mo Williams and the Cavaliers. So what impresses me with a guy like that, and and I'd put some other guys in that category – he drives his team to victory, however it's necessary. So I'm always impressed with Davis and Cousins and um, 
some of these other stat stuffers, but guys like LeBron, and now he's the greatest of all time, but if you want to be as good as him, you've got to show that your team can win with no talent on it because he did that yeah. in Cleveland before. That's um, a really good point. So, yeah, I, I just – I struggle. I mean, it's like Carmelo Anthony used to make the the, the All-Star game all the time. And I'm like, well, his yeah. team's not even good. But, yeah. You know, like just well, because he scores a bunch of points, like he should be in it. So struggle with that. Well, and it's like Kevin Love now. You know, Kevin Love is obviously on the Cavs who are, you know, mm-hmm. having a social year, but he also is just a star name on a team that has LeBron on it. You know, is does he, is he really deserving over right. over someone like Deion Waiters in Miami or, or Hassan Whiteside in Miami who's who's having a great year and they're yeah, four feet, say but, Hassan Whiteside, big snub there. Uh, yeah, I think injuries probably hurt him a little bit. Yeah, um, hey, how about John Wall? I mean, he's having a terrible year. For right. even for his, yeah, yeah. that's for, a really yeah. good point. So, and, and yet he's on the team, and we're going to snub a guy like Paul George. Well, they're the wrong conference. I think their problem is yeah. the the Eastern Conference is is is, is filthy. It's pretty low. Yeah. I mean, the Western Conference is filthy loaded, so they're struggling with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just sorry to interrupt, but I was just reading something no, about how the coaches are the ones who actually like uh, coaches poll are the ones who choose the reserves. Right. So seven from each conference is is how I just read it, but. So for me, it re- it's like even more. You should the coaches should be the ones who yeah. don't pick guys who've been injured all year. Like Kyle Lowry, I don't think has played a ton of games either for the Raptors against Sting. Yeah, he's been East. in and out. Yeah, staying in the East of of these teams that or these guys like Matt said who just are there because of their name versus guys who are deserving or you know what have you. I mean, isn't there yeah. a guy in the Bulls who's having an unbelievable year and and like the Lauren. reason why the yeah, Mark Laurie Markkinen, Markkinen, maybe. Yeah. yeah, but like I, I, Andre Drummond's been having a very successful season. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm surprised there's no Pistons yeah. on this. Yeah, um, so I, I just, you know, Kemba, Kemba Walker. Now, maybe that's a guy that you think stat stuffs. So I, I haven't watched enough of his games to truly see how he affects games. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, like I, I'm picking on him pretty hard right now. But watching Demarcus Cousins meander back on defense, that's not an all starter. No, that's just not a guy that I think should be an All Star game. I know it's all about points in the All Star game, but um, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's kind of a shame. You're uh, right. Yeah, You're and right. it's a great way for the. And I know there's the rookie sophomore game, but there's it's a great way for some of these guys to show up and and uh, and get their brand out there. So, well, I mean, they were um, saying they were saying last year too. I mean, they said that the best thing for um, the Celtics last year the in the all-star game was the fact that Brad Stevens was the coach so that he could interact with some of the, the stars, if you will. And, and it's one of those things where I think the NBA solely picks players so they can have that star attractive, you know, they want people to watch and that's why they're changing the format this year to have draft teams and all that stuff. And I mean, let's call it what it is. No one's going to watch an all-star game unless it means something like the MLB game. And even that struggle with ratings for so many years. So and it doesn't um, even matter anymore. Right. And, but that's what I'm saying is like, this is a chance, like Matt was saying for some of these young guys to learn from some of the stars, you know, like Olin Depot to get a chance to get in front of LeBron's face or, or learn from, from a guy like, you know, Clay Thompson or Steph Curry or who, or, or even Embiid, you know, who Joel Embiid, who's been having a great year to learn from Al Hofford, how to play in the post or something, you know, how to yeah. do something on a, on a practice or, or an all-star type situation where you can interact with your fellow NBA guys on a, on a, you know, you're not competing, you're out there to have fun level. And that's something that a lot of these guys are denied the chance because of this silly format they have. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of surprised they don't, uh, put it to everybody needs to have at least one person and make it like a, this, a larger roster, at least like, or maybe even across the, the 
number of different games that you have to try to have all of that exposure. Cause that's one thing about the baseball all-star game that you see all the camaraderie and all that's all that going on throughout that really the two days that their all-star break is. And the NBA all-star break is three days cause they have all the, all the different stuff going on. So a little bit of a, of a surprise or not a surprise, but um, yeah, there's definitely some, some snubs and I'm sure as we, we look through it more, what we can think of others, but I mean, it's, on the Bucks, how about uh, the Jason Kidd firing? What did you guys think of that? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's another team that they're a young Milwaukee Bucks team. They've got some talent, but I think the uh, he had some weird late game decisions, you know, that I read about some some strange. He was fouling guys while winning, which don't make any sense to me. Make a guy make a shot, um, but I think it's another thing where the owner jumped the gun a little bit. Uh, really, you know, he he you know, they they that that organization believes they should be. A, going after a number one seed, which I just don't believe is the case yet. Um, you know, they think they should be with this, you know, the Celtics and with the Cavs and even with the Raptors. Um, so I don't know if I totally understand it. And, uh, you know, their star, uh, the Greek freak went to bat for their coach, wanted to save Jason's kid's yeah. job. So that was strange. That whole thing was strange to me. Um, and they did it. They did it while the, while uh, Giannis was, was injured, which was weird as well. Um, so I don't know, you know, strange world, the Milwaukee Bucks live in, I guess, but sometimes yeah. you gotta let, you gotta let some settle like that. No, yeah. and I definitely don't think it, it, a hundred definitely doesn't make sense. Cause you're talking about a team that was a playoff team last year, a team that, you know, with a couple more wins is, is a, is a three seed, if you will, cause they're, right. they're only three wins behind the Cavs. So it really, it, you know, it, it's like Matt said, surprising, shocking, and, and one of those things that just doesn't make sense at the time because a team that clearly has been playing well for him. My my only fear, especially in this day and age, and and everything that's going on with you know you don't have to get into it, but there's there's got to be something behind the scenes that either is going to come out uh, about the relationship with mm-hmm. Jason Kidd and and the owners, or uh, or the Jason Kidd and the GM, or maybe something in Jason Kidd's personal life because. There's no, from a coaching standpoint, it doesn't really make sense. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get that. That make. I mean, yeah. Once again, I mean, now the, po- the only positive is is maybe the Bucks are realizing what the Sixers realized, and they've got a superstar. But the only way you're going to win now in the NBA is if you have a whole bunch of stars, apparently. So you gotta you gotta pull the process motion out. But they're farther along than than I than that for me. So that kind of. I don't know. It just is so strange to me. I actually, Greg, I haven't thought of that point. That's a really good point that maybe there's something going on that we don't know yet yeah. um, with with the relationship there. He also, remember, he left the Knicks um, as the coach and wanted to go to the smaller market box, which was strange. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing I think is a little weird. I would agree. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Any other, any other basketball things, any other basketball topics you guys uh, want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I finally uh... – saw how Embiid can uh, take over a game when the Celtics and the 76ers played this past week. Um, granted, Kyrie wasn't there, and it was an 89-80 to 80 game, which is probably the lowest scoring game <laughs> in NBA history in the last five years. But uh, it was it was good to watch in terms of when he turns it on or when he can take over a game. And, and I understand they want to save him in his minutes and all that, but at some point you got to let the kid go and just let him – control and dominate an offense like he did uh 
where the ball should go through him every possession, in my yep. opinion. It went from a minute's restriction to a minute's suggestion this year. Yeah. I think the one concern I'd have, and, and that's a great point, because he, to me, is the, he's the whole key. When Ben Simmons is on the court without Joel Embiid, it, there's a huge drop-off in what they do. Yes. Um, and so, now, once again, Simmons is a, theoretically a one-year, a first-year player, you know, and, you know, he's a rookie. I didn't play last year. And the other guy that I thought would share a lot of the ball handling duties, Markel Fultz, hasn't played. So it hasn't looked good. So I don't want to put too much of a burden on Simmons for that struggle. But, man, I mean, he – and Beat is a one-man, you know, wrecking crew right now in terms of if the ball doesn't go through him, they're in a little bit of trouble. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's been a tough uh, – But that, so then I watched the game last night against a bad Memphis Grizzlies yeah. team. And I watch us implode in the fourth quarter, uh, way too many turnovers. I know we're a young team, no J.J. Redick, and that's that's a big loss for a team that could use his veteran leadership. But um, that's the bad Sixers. But I'm okay with that because that's the learning curve a, a good team goes through when you have young players. Yeah, so, to put it in perspective, 10 of their – I think it was the final number was 32 turnovers uh, came in the fourth quarter, and the Bucks scored – uh, I forget the number of points they scored in the fourth quarter, but there was of let's call it 30. Only eight of them were not off of turnovers. So, I mean, right. they fly the ball around and Greg and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, they f- try to fly the ball around and really get the ball moving. And it's almost that opposite of what you're talking about. And even if Embiid's involved, they try to thread it a little bit, almost those Simmons esque passes. Cause he has just that keen eye for it, but get a little too fancy at times and and you see that you saw that last night you saw a little bit of the yips from TLC a couple times where it looked like that they that the Grizzlies weren't going to let them blow the lead and the Sixers came right back down the court and gave the ball right back well and, no i think uh, it's I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week it's this team the the fact that they are so young it proves that like you know Especially when they play the Celtics, obviously I've seen them in limited action, but they they just blow leads against the Celtics. And even without Kyrie, the Celtics were if they late if they had hit a couple three pointers, that game was tied, and the Celtics probably would have won. So like, it's it's you know that that ability to step on someone's throat when you have them down, uh, that that closer, that finisher, that that late in game, uh, you know who's getting the ball? Yeah, who's getting the ball? Who's getting the ball if they need a a game tying three or a game tying? or game-winning bucket, if you will, and, and that's sort of something that's going to develop over time and something that the 76ers definitely need to uh, figure out sooner rather than later, especially heading into the playoffs. In the that's where year. I'd like to see Ben Simmons get a little more me, like a little more aggressive. I'm not a fan of ISO basketball, but he needs to be – I don't care what they want to do. Somehow he's got to – there's got to be a play in the game that they just know that they can go to late in the game that's going to get them a bucket in close. Um, yes. They don't have. I mean, they need, we all know they they need shooters with yeah. Embiid on the floor and and Simmons. Um, they need guys that can come away from the basket. Now the problem is Reddick and Covington, and I think Sarge is a little better than this, but they're all Reddick. Reddick and Covington are basically spot up shooters at this point. Yep. Like I don't. Whenever Covington dribbles, I get scared because he's just not a. You saw him late in the game last night. Yes, he had a yeah. weird dribble out, and then he tried to do that fadeaway yeah. that he. I think he, he thought the clock. I think he made a mistake. I don't think he knew yeah. that. Now, this once again, as a young team, you don't realize what's going on in the game because Amir Johnson was standing on the sideline, smiling in the replay, putting after he shot it with the, like you only needed a two guy. Um, 
So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think I think not having a – And Embiid was right under the hoop too. Right, yeah. I mean, you got to go to your guy. But you know what teams do? They just collapse on Joel Embiid late in the game. Yeah. And um, when he's really good, he's passing it out. He's kicking it out. He's allowing his teammates to get open due to his dominance. But, um, yeah, they're missing a piece. But it could be there already. Like, it could be Simmons getting more aggressive. I'm not giving up on Fultz yet. Um, I, you know, Sarge had a pretty darn good game last night. So they just need to got to be aggressive and take it to the rack. And that's got to be, to me, that's got to be Simmons because go to the rack and make the guy leave Embiid and do a little do a little dish to Embiid. I mean, he's such a monster too. So uh, no. do they do the Simmons Embiid pick and roll at all? Do they run that at all? Not I, like, really. <laughs> Right. Well, the problem is you just go you just go under every screen on Simmons. You don't switch. You just go under because and, he's and, not going to shoot. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem, at least what the Celtics were doing, was they had a a bigger guy covering Simmons. So, like you know, yeah. every it, you know, you do pick and rolls with the big and the small, so you can get the 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 small to match up with the big. You know, right. and and Embiid or uh, Simmons is so tall that like it's six seven. Right. You know, he's it's like LeBron and 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 Embiid doing a. You know, a pick and roll. You're just not going to get that that mismatch that you want and need um, from that. So it's it's tough because Fultz really would help that out. Like you know, like Matt saying, you know, Fultz has a little bit more of a jumper than Simmons, but um, you know, it, it, he's starting to hit a couple. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's and tough because like you know, this like I said, I mean, I'm only comparing it to the Celtics, but the Celtics had had Morris on on uh, on Fultz, and then they had Al Hofford on Embiid, and those are their four. Those are the Celtics' four fives, and you know, you're not going to have a center and a power forward, you know, go over the top on a pick and roll with Simmons. You're going to let him drive into you and try and stop him that way. So yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And I, I would, I would also say that, um, so Simmons is six ten, by the way, not six seven. Six ten. Yeah. He's really, really tall. I never thought that's actually a great point. So I don't know what the answer is. Right. Cause I mean, maybe Fultz isn't the guy. So there's got, but there's gotta be a guy, whether it's like a sixth man, like I, you know, I'm not a big Lou Williams fan, but man, him and and B possibly running a pick and roll excites me. So, you know, I, I don't know who it's going to be. They got to get somebody that's not Jared Bayless or even TJ McConnell because TJ can't shoot. So once again, you just go under every screen. You got to have that that triple threat who can pass, shoot, and score. We got to find that from somebody. Yeah, TJ has one shot that he can hit like that, but it's one shot. It's come out yeah. from the lane turn around, pop it up. But I mean, he's a hell of a defender, but um, yeah, the good news for the Sixers, at least coming down in the second half of the season, they have the second easiest schedule in the NBA because they by far have played of Eastern conference teams, the most Western conference opponents um, and subsequently the least amount of opponents in the East. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully they play well. They, down to some of their competition so hopefully they avoid that i'll be uh there against the bulls tomorrow so we'll see how that goes yeah. listen bef- before we wrap up uh the show because i know uh, maddie likes to keep them short and uh we ran it long but uh last hockey th- or one hockey quick thing yeah, that exactly. they were yeah. talking about no they were talking about the expansion team cities um and it's looking more and more like seattle do you obviously because they have the odd number for those who may not know they have the odd number now that Vegas has joined in the NHL, uh, not just joined, owned the NHL. Seattle is looking like the front runner. Um, they've talked about a couple other Canadian cities. Where would you like to see the next expansion team be? Uh, city. One word answer. Quickly go, Jordy. Seattle. Uh, 
Uh, I'm, I'm, I got to say Seattle too. I, I think it's the best spot. Um, Runner up Quebec. See, that was what I was going to say. I, I think they need another team in Canada. Yeah. Um, but I would say Seattle as well. What about yeah, you, Greg? I'm, no, I'm, I'm going, I'm going with the Canada point, the having a team out, uh, another team in Quebec or, or, you know, getting a team back in, in, or a, an additional Canadian team. It's just going to help, uh, the league with the international flair and all that. But um, Seattle would be good simply because, you know, you get that, that somewhat cold weather and it is close and they have that, you know, Seattle fans are notorious, even with the MLS, they show up. So uh, you do get that, that, that good fan base, if you will. But um, you know, it's just for me, there's too many teams already on the West coast. And, and I think, uh, you know, having, having another Canadian team would be, would be the right move. If you put it in Quebec or Hamilton's another name that gets thrown around, who would uh who'd you move back to the Western Conference? <laughs> wow. Um, hmm. That's a good one. I gave away my answer with it. Detroit, I would move back. Um, oh yeah, that yeah, would that that makes sense. Because they, they gave the bullshit reason of we want more of our games in the eastern time zone, but you already buy half of them there anyway. That's where Detroit's located. Mm-hmm. Um and you're not really adding that many more games by putting you know, in the East versus the West. So I, I, and you lose the Blackhawks uh, rivalry there, uh, or at least multiple games against it. So I think it's the most logical pick, but, you know. Yeah, I'm going to say, I, I think the best option would in, in, in to be to add Seattle. And then I hate to say it because I hate ripping a team out of their state, but city, but I, I think the Coyotes have to make a change and they're, they'd be the kind of team to move up north to. Are they uh, still owned by the NHL? I don't know. Have they been, have they been bought yet? Does anybody know? No idea. <laughs> I don't think so, but my my uh, pick, uh, Jordy, would be oh, yeah. one of the teams in Florida because you know it makes sense. You have a bunch of Florida teams, uh, NFL doing NFC AFC things. So you know, right now there's two Florida teams in the East. Uh, why not make it uh, one and one and just you know be done with it, make it yeah. easy. Oh, all right. Yeah. Dude, given the Seattle that. Mariners treatment of just by far the worst travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, no, because I mean, right now you got. Uh, in the West, you ha- you have uh, Nashville, and they're you know they're always that's a really good point. Constantly traveling out, you know, give them another team that's that's somewhat closer in the area. You know, it, we don't have to go there, anyways. Uh, quickly <laughs> before we wrap up, last point: the NHL right. All Star Game is this weekend. What do you guys think is going to happen? I think there's going to be a lot of goals. <laughs> well, there haven't been a ton in this three on three tournament style. We've had. That's you know, true. Barn burners. Well, no, it's it's funny because it's you know three on three. It's all breakaways or it's all like in zone. Everyone's just just covering one on one matchups. So you know breakaways goalies. You know goalies have a pretty good shot at stopping them. But um, you know it's it's I'm excited more than I have been uh, for this year. But I'm also really don't want to watch because I'm I'm not happy with the NHL uh, based on the Olympics and uh, Patrice yeah, Bergeron not making the All Star team. But uh, that's my own Bruins, uh, <laughs> Bruins <laughs> point. But no, the three that's awesome, and and it really is a nail. Like you know, anytime the game goes overtime, three on three, whoever it is, you know, it, it's must watch TV. And you saw it, in, even in the World Junior Championships, you saw that too. So it's it's one of those things where three on three is is electric, regardless of when it happens. So um, I'm excited for just the the edge of your seat type of uh, type of deal. 
Uh, yeah. Just like with TK's overtime winner against the Caps on Sunday, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. That, that was, was awesome. the game. Um, you know, I would I would say that the shame of it is I've always I always thought I really wanted not I always liked the idea of amateur athletes in all Olympic sports. So you know, in um, uh, in I, I you know the NBA is almost not the uh, basketball in the Olympics is almost not fun because the the uh, USA just dominates everybody. There's obviously a little more parity in the NHL. Now that they've done it, I don't like it. Before, it's all I wanted. I was like, you know what? I want to see all young kids playing for their country. But um, after hearing some of the like like Ovechkin's desires to just really want to play for his country, I I kind of now I'm back on. I wish the they had the uh, NHL players playing. No, I'm I'm of the opposite mind. I think you should send the best players, make it the best competition. Obviously, the steroid users get the get them the hell out of there, like the the Russians, but uh. Not Alexander Ovechkin, Alexander Ovechkin, notwithstanding. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm super bummed the NHL players aren't playing, uh, especially because I think just kind of Greg's point of the World Juniors, the U.S. is on the up and up, and I think in a couple years or a couple Olympics from now, we could uh, really make a good threat in terms of uh, challenging. But yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean they they were saying the biggest reason, obviously, is money and the fact that the NA, the the Olympics didn't want to curtailed to to the NHL and, and Bateman being like, you know, we'll give you X amount of, of our profit shares and all this, you know, putting well, the Scott NHL is getting hurt four years ago. That's the, well, big... no, no, no. The real reason is money. Jordy. Don't, don't get it twisted. You know, well, it's not injury. It's a hundred percent money. It's all about the fact the NHL wanted to put their logo everywhere and they wanted to share in the, oh, yeah, that, in the yeah, revenue. That too. They yeah. wanted to take the money from the Olympics that the Olympics is getting and NBC was getting and they wanted collect some of that of their own, um, which is why he went out and, and created the the World Cup of or whatever that was this summer um, of hockey this past summer that they had. So Two summers ago. Two summers ago. So it's the same World Baseball Classic. It's the same same reason. It's all about, uh, you know, the fact that these the – N- the NHL and, and the MLB want the money from the Olympics – at least with baseball in the Olympics, that's tougher to do just because of how condensed the baseball schedule already is. Uh, the NHL, yeah, I mean, I get your point on that. When I meant Jonathan Tavares getting hurt, that's just dollars the Islanders lost from him being hurt. So they also have that that uh, IP, if you will, of uh, uh, in terms of, of dollars. But we don't really need to argue it that much more. It's certainly a bummer that the NHL players aren't going, but... Yeah, I mean, it'll be exciting to at least pay somewhat attention to it because it kind of keeps it wide open. But, uh, you know, I guess we will at least have pro hockey to still uh, to watch. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, well, listen, you know what? Fellas. There's so things in the NA, and, and there's so many good things in the Olympics. Other than the, uh, hockey, though, I'm still really excited for the. Yeah, I am too. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll cover that on another pod, though. <laughs> Fellas, listen, I got one thing to say. Maddie, I hope you have a great great uh, weekend super bowl weekend i hope it's awesome um i hope you come home crying in a negative way though <laughs> uh but i hope everything else is awesome for you that weekend uh go pats and uh you know as much as i pull for philly in getting their first ever super bowl ever in their lifetime um go pats and uh let's solidify the goat status if you will <laughs> well, obviously, no, I, I'm hoping. I respect it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I respect it, but I'm hoping to the opposite. 
But I think that's going to do it for us. Any other, anything else you guys got for me? No. Go Pats. Go Pats. One quick final question that I just thought of, because I mentioned it before. Give me your, give me a one word. Where's Tiger finishing this weekend? He makes the cut. Uh, 12th. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to say like 30s. I'm hopeful. No, yeah, I'm hopeful <laughs> too. He looks uh, looks pretty excited. Uh, Greg, I've told Matt this. My dad is a bet. Over under Tiger Majors at a half. Did you take it? Majors, yeah. Uh, for the rest of his life? Yeah, for the rest of his life. Yeah, 100% I take it. And I, uh, I don't know, Matt, I don't know if you know this, but Jordy's dad and I have a, an unspoken uh, uh, feud or rivalry, if you will, that uh, goes back to high school for no reason. But um, I take it, and then I would get him when Tiger wins a, uh, Tiger wins a, a major on the senior tour. No, it's, so it's a regular tour. Now. Regular tour. No, I know. <laughs> well, the the but story of specify, Greg. Listen, listen, Jordy, you didn't specify that, and neither did your dad. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> which is why I take, well, uh, take we'll the tiger. The story of, I take of the you. over, uh, Maddie. If you want the story, you know Jordy could explain it. But yeah, uh, well, we can tell that story another time. But I think that's going to do it for us, <laughs> boys. I thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely! It's a great time. No, listen, it's uh, you know I say it every week, but. Um, really, really impressed. Love listening to, you know, Maddie, especially knows a lot and Jordy does a great job, uh, doing his research and homework and everything and, and knowledgeable. So glad I get to join and, uh, give Love it a little you. Patriot take and I'm pumped. Uh, yeah. you guys gave me some clarity on, on how the outside world views, uh, the Patriots. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, I mean, like depending, I- depending on what happens in two weeks, this may be your last podcast ever. So you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you keep. I was gonna say you keep us in check, so we had to, uh, you know, return the favor. But like I said, that's gonna do it for us this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. For my guys, Greg the Prophet Piatelli, Matt the Truth De Stefano, the Fake Matty D. I am Jordy Cannell. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Go Pat.